Good evening. How exciting. Wonderful. Now, before I start, can I just clarify? So, Carol's, where's Alex? No pets allowed. Um, now, in the past, I do have guinea pigs, and I have in the past dressed them up as the three kings, although there are only two of them. Would that possibly be an exception to the rule? Pray about it. <laughs> Let me know. It's amazing. I, I thoroughly endorse dressing up your pets for Christmas themes. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, we're going to be continuing our um, series, the Our Father series, um, in Matthew's Gospel. And um, we're going to be looking at chapter 6, um, starting at verse 19 today. And um, we've seen over the past weeks that Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people who are gathered to him on a mountainside. It's known as a Sermon on the Mount, because of that very reason. And he's got quite a crowd who are really hooked on what he's saying. Um, probably quite a mixture of people, rich and poor. Um, probably some quite religious people in there, some very irreligious. Some just ordinary people, some kind of radicals and zealots amongst them. Uh, a real mixture of people. But all of them seem to be hooked on his words. He's teaching them like no one else has ever taught them before. He's saying things that, in a way that they've never really, really heard before. And there's one refrain that Jesus keeps on coming back to. He keeps on talking about his father. His father. His father. And this is, this is new to the people listening. It's intriguing them. And it's hooking them into what he's saying. And uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into chapter 6, uh, verse 19. And you can follow along on the screen behind. I'm going to see what Jesus has to say to us this evening. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then jumping to verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Um, I don't know about you, but um, if you're ever cleaning in the corners of your house or under the, the sofa, um, I've occasionally found one of those strange uh, metal objects uh, that are a very unusual shape, um, and you've no idea what they are from and what they are for, but you do know that they are important and therefore must not be lost. And so if you're like me, you will um, put them very safely in your equivalent of a man drawer, which for me is a little pot in the cupboard under the stairs, and you will keep it. Because we must not lose what is important. We must hold on to it. But sometimes we don't really know what to do with it. What is it part of? And sometimes when we, when we come to, to verses like this, we can kind of have the same sort of feeling, if we're honest about it. Um, we, we read it and we, we go, yeah, this is important, what Jesus is saying. I, I want to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. And if there are different masters, I want to be serving God and, and not money. But it can kind of be confusing to know what, what we then do with it. What does that look like in our day-to-day -day life? What does it actually mean for me to serve God and not money? And what does that fit as part of? How do I understand it? Well, to, to help us with that, we're going to take a lead from, from Jesus' refrain on pointing us to the Father. I'm going to take a step back, zoom out a bit, and look at these verses in the context of the Father's story. I'm going to start with 
how he is our master. And the good thing is, is that these verses actually hold for us not just something important, but something really quite life-changingly important. They hold a freedom and a joy that for some people they might taste for the first time tonight. So God is our master, we are told. You cannot serve God and money. God is our master. So our, our God is the true master. The Bible teaches us that, um, that he is the one who created everything that we see. The heavens, the earth, every single person in this room was created by him. And the first people created by him were Adam and Eve. He placed them in a beautiful garden. He provided everything they needed for, for life, to live, to enjoy, to eat, shelter, everything they needed, he provided. He was a good master. And more than anything, he provided himself a relationship with him. Not just as their master, but as their friend and as their father. He would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. He would spend time with them. He would talk with them. He was a good, good master. Everything they needed, he gave them. And things were good. But sadly, you'll know how the story goes. It didn't stay like that. There was a time when Eve was approached by another, by an enemy. And this enemy comes to Eve and points to one of the, the, the trees in this beautiful garden and says, did, did God really say you can't eat from that? Did God really say? Questioning the, the words of her good master. Why doesn't he want you to eat from that? He, I think he knows that, that you're going to become like God. He's holding out on you. Subtly questioning. Subtly casting doubt on her good master. Causing her to believe that he isn't a good master. Maybe he's a harsh master. Because now I look at it, this fruit looks good. Looks good to eat. Looks good for me. Why isn't my father, my master, letting me have this? Why hasn't he said I can have this? Maybe he's holding out on me. Maybe he is harsh and stingy. Maybe I'll take it for myself. And so instead of trusting that her father had her best interests at heart, she trusted the voice of another, the voice of an enemy, of a liar. And she took it. And so did Adam. And they took it and they ate it. They took for themselves. And in doing so, they rejected their true good master. And they obeyed the voice of another. Another master. See, in our passage today, we hear about we can't serve God and money. The word for money here is mammon. It can mean money or possessions. We're not just talking about the stuff that we need for everyday life, the stuff that God gives us to enjoy. We're talking about the things that aren't good for us. All the things that too much is good for us. All that just aren't for yet. The things that we take for ourselves to arrange our own happiness. You see, Eve chose, I don't believe that God's going to have my best at heart. I'm going to take this for myself. Perhaps he's holding out on me. Now, it's unlikely that for you and me that that's going to be fruit. Um, but 
there are lots of things that it can be. Our whole advertising industry is based around that promise, that enticing question. Take this product, have this, and you'll look like this, and then you'll be so happy. Drive this, and then you'll feel so powerful. People will love you, you then you'll be happy. Have this house, have this wife, have this husband, have these sort of children. Take them for yourself, that then you'll be happy. Or it might be something even that you can't touch. Have this promotion, take this job, then you'll be happy. And with that promise of happiness comes the fear that if you don't take it, well, I might be missing out. If I don't take this, if I trust and wait for what my Heavenly Father has for me, if I believe him when he says not yet or not now, then maybe I'm going to miss out. Maybe I'll miss out on something good. This is the, the world we're born into. This is the cycle that we're born into. But is this really a problem? I mean, aside from the fact that we've disobeyed our one true master and we've obeyed the voice of another, put that aside for a minute. Is this really a problem? What is wrong with gathering things for ourselves to make ourselves happy? Well, Jesus speaks into this in our passage today. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And later, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the problem with gathering these things to us, taking these things to meet our happiness, meet our needs, find our fulfillment, the problem is that these things are perishable. These things rust. Moth can eat them. Thieves can break in and steal. And we kind of know the reality of that, don't we? You know that thing that you've always wanted and then you get it. And at first it's so shiny and so good and it makes you so happy and you feel so great. And then kind of starts to lose its sheen a little bit. And what was once so shiny kind of rusts in our affections. And we kind of need something else to replace it, to fulfill us. And when that kind of loses its sheen, we need something else, and something else, and something else, and something else. And so the cycle goes on and on, never fulfilled, never really meeting that deep need. Or perhaps it's the fear that robbers would steal, whether it's banking crises or um, things breaking, whether it's a relationship breaking down, or maybe ill health strikes. The things of this earth are perishable. And the real tragedy in all of this, Jesus tells us, isn't simply that we lose those things, but he tells us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. You see, these things that we gather to ourselves to fulfill ourselves, it's not just that they will perish, but we place our heart there and our hearts become perishable. Our hearts can be plundered just as 
those things can be plundered. Which means that when those things do rust, when those things do get lost, get stolen, when disaster does strike, we don't just have the pain of losing something, which is natural, but we have the utter despair of having our hearts plundered of joy and of peace. See, Jesus, when he's talking about treasure, his main concern isn't simply about your stuff. It's about, his, about your heart. He's jealous for your heart. The Father is jealous for where your heart is. He doesn't want your heart to be plundered of joy, of peace. He doesn't want it to be placed in earthly storehouses. He's got something better for us. Now, this all seems quite bleak, but the good news is that Jesus came into this. Jesus came into this story. You see, the Father sent the Son. The Father sent the Son, Jesus, to show us what the relationship with our true master should look like. Here we are, stuck in this cycle of serving this other master, of gathering things for ourselves, of disbelieving the goodness of our true master. And Jesus comes into this, and he is totally different. And people can't make him out. He's totally mind-boggling. Because Jesus keeps kind of sneaking off up mountainsides to spend time with his heavenly father. I mean, why is he doing that? I thought praying was the kind of boring bit you have to get through before you get them with the rest of your day. And he's up there kind of spending time with his heavenly father. What is it that he gets from that relationship that is so fulfilling? Bizarre. You see, Jesus came as our example. He came to show us what a relationship with the Father looked like. He came to show us what it was to live your life trusting our one true master. Trusting the one who has our best interests at heart. And it's no wonder that the disciples started asking Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Because when you pray, you seem to talk to a father that you know and that knows you and that meets your needs. Teach us how to pray, Jesus. Show us. You see, Jesus was in the same moment that Adam and Eve faced and that you and I face. Jesus stood in our same shoes and he too was approached by an enemy. He too was approached with the temptation to disbelieve that his heavenly father had good things planned for him. He knows what it feels like. He was there in the wilderness fasting and praying, following his heavenly father, when an enemy came to him too and said, pretty hungry. Just imagine if that stone was bread. It'd be pretty nice. You could do that. Take it. Eat it. But Jesus isn't having any of it. I'm trusting my heavenly father. He'll give me bread when he wants me to have bread. I'm trusting him. Or all the kingdoms of the, of the world could be yours, Jesus. Just, just worship me. Serve the Lord your God only. In other words, now I'm trusting my father. 
I'm believing his word, I'm believing what he says. He is good. And he rejects that other master, the one that we serve. He rejects him, perfectly following his father in heaven. And the way that played out in his life was, again, just one confusion after another for the poor disciples. One minute, Jesus is speaking to crowds and crowds of people, and he says, right, guys, we're, um, t- tomorrow we're going to go off to another city. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus, wait. You don't understand. This is amazing. People are loving it here. They are listening to you preach. Their, their needs are here. Oh, we are, we, are, we are doing so well. You're like a rock star. Jesus is like, no, we're, I'm, I'm following my father. And he said to go here. There is absolutely no fear of missing out. There is no fear of, but, but, but what, if, what if I lose this reputation? What if it's not as good in the next place? Totally free of that. And another time, Jesus says, right, we're going up to Jerusalem. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. Jerusalem is where the guys who want to kill you are. You don't want to go there. Trust me. Jesus says, no. I do what my father says for me. And off he goes. They're like, he's, what is he doing? He seems to be totally unafraid of losing that security, losing that safety. He seems to be totally untethered to this earth, unbothered by it. And the most stark example of all was when Jesus lost everything. And Jesus had his family desert him and his friends desert him and his closest friend betray him and walked the painful road to the cross where he lost his life. Even in the utmost suffering and pain and devastation when the world took everything physical, everything that he could have taken to himself was taken off him. And yet, Jesus apparently couldn't have his peace and his deep joy plundered. It seemed that nothing could rob him of his trust in his heavenly father. Nothing could rob him of this peace, this joy that through the pain was still there. It was mind-boggling to them. It was almost as if Jesus was accessing a storehouse of treasure that couldn't be plundered a joy and a peace that was so secure that it must be in heavenly places. See, with every decision that Jesus chose to trust his father, he was storing up treasure in heaven. And wonderfully, he was accessing that same treasure from heaven. See, our father could have shown as the might of a master who had been rejected by us, and he could have crushed us in anger. But instead, he sent a message of love, a display of the son who would show us what we were made for 
what our deepest longing and our heart's fulfillment was pointing to. That relationship with the Father who loved us more than anything. You see, the Father's heart for you is not for your things and your stuff. It's for you. For you as his child. He is passionate for you. He is determined to have you. He won't be put off. Sometimes we can think of God, especially on a, on a day like a, a pledge day, we can kind of think, oh, it's like a, a tug of war between two masters. Do I want to trust God or money? It's kind of almost like, oh, it feels like my master in heaven is, is like a father saying to his child, give me some of your Haribo. Come on. I know you're enjoying that, but I want some. Give it to me. I want some. <laughs> it couldn't be further from the truth. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your stuff. He's got the, the cattle on a thousand hills. He can speak kingdoms into being. But he's passionate about your heart. It's the difference between a father asking for a few scrappy little Haribo and a father who sees his child needle in hand, about to shoot up. And he looks at his child and he says, give it to me. Trust me. This is not good for you. Give it to me. I have your good at heart. I know you don't understand. I know it looks good right now. But would you trust me? That's what Jesus came to show us. And if you don't know him today, that is what he opens up for you. That's what he offers to you. You might wonder, though, how is that actually possible? How can I, with all my mess and all my rebellion, all my serving another master, how is it possible for me to come into this relationship with this father? How is that going to work? Well, there is a very significant problem. And that is illustrated quite nicely by the film Nanny McPhee. I don't know whether you've um, seen it. Excellent film. Um, it's a, a bunch of unruly children are going to be sorted out by a magical nanny. And so um, the magical nanny comes, and the children are causing absolute mayhem in the kitchen. They're doing everything that they can possibly do to cause problems and to make a mess, and it's just bedlam. Anyway, she walks in, and rather than using her magic to put a stop to it right then and there, she uses her magic to make it that they can't stop. And the mixing and the stirring and the throwing keeps going, and they suddenly become quite panicked because they can't stop. And the more they realize they can't stop, they suddenly realize the consequences of what's happening. What was quite fun and quite messy is suddenly becoming quite dangerous. And becoming more dangerous and becoming more dangerous. And it's kind of hurtling towards this crescendo where something's going to go seriously, seriously wrong. And they can't stop. That's a bit, bit of a silly picture, but it does describe the situation we find ourselves in. Because actually, our... Our rebellion, our choosing to, to serve a different master has consequences that we find ourselves careering towards. 
You see, when we chose to, to gather up our treasure, to find our treasure and the things on this earth, to invest our hearts on this perishable earth, we became perishable. We actually became slaves to that other master. It says in, in Romans 6, it describes it like this. It says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? See, we became slaves. That's why we are stuck in this cycle. That's why you feel that tension sometimes. We became slaves to that other master. And we couldn't set ourselves free. But thank God he could. See, Jesus didn't just come as our example. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He came as our example, and he came as our doorway to the Father. You see, Jesus never deserved those consequences. He never deserved to perish. But the immortal one chose to become a human and chose to carry out the plan that they'd planned from eternity, the plan that he would die in our place, that he would become perishable for us, that he would take the consequence that we deserved. And we're told that we are in him if we believe in him. We are hidden in him. And that when he died, we died too. Which is great news for us if we were slaves to that old master because slaves don't keep serving their master. It stops at the, de- at the grave. Slaves don't have to keep on serving. And when Jesus died with us hidden in him, we were dead to our old master. Our chains were broken. And we were freed to serve our true master to come to our Father through Jesus. We weren't left dead, but when Jesus was raised to life, we too were raised to life so that we could know the Heavenly Father for ourselves. Totally free. Totally free. That is what it means to become a Christian. That is what it means It's trusting. I believe my heavenly Father has my good. I believe you. I believe you, Father. When you said that Jesus has made a way for me, I believe it. And so I come to you now. I come to you now because you've made a way for me. And if you don't know him this evening, this could be the time for you to come home. To meet him. Meet the one that you were made for. Meet the only one that will ever fulfill your deepest longings. He welcomes you today. You might even feel a bit embarrassed. Maybe you've been around church for a while. Maybe you've grown up in a religious family. But you hear this and you think, I'm not sure that I really know Jesus as my father. Do I know God as my father? Well, this is open for you. Jesus has made a way for you to come home to the Father. 
But some of you might be thinking, I'm already a Christian. I already know God as my father, and I love it. Which means that I'm already free from my chains. I'm already free to serve him and to enjoy him. But I kind of feel some of the tension of this still. I kind of feel that I'm still in this battle of seeing these really good-looking things. They seem so tempting. Maybe it's a relationship that I just know isn't God's best for me, but it looks so good. Maybe it's something that people keep telling me, my friends keep telling me, well, why don't you? Just take it. It's fine. It's not hurting anyone. But you know it's not God's best for you. We are free, but there is still an enemy, and there is still an old master. We are not slaves to him anymore. If we are in Jesus, we are no longer slaves. doesn't mean we don't still hear his voice, and it doesn't mean that part of us doesn't remember how we used to act, doesn't recognize the familiarity of like, oh yeah, that's the voice I used to obey. Those are the longings I used to respond to. Those are the longings I had to respond to. doesn't mean we don't still recognize the voice, but it does mean that we don't have to obey it anymore. It does mean we are free from our chains and that we have Jesus' example to follow. We have his example to show us what it looks like to trust our Heavenly Father. He's not distant and aloof. He's not unaware of what you're going through. He has been in that same situation. He has felt the pangs and the pain of temptation and still chosen to trust. But not only that, he gives you power to trust. Power in our weakness. And not just some impersonal force, but the personal spirit the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of a son, the spirit of a child that cries out, Abba, Father, help me. I love you. I want to choose you. I know you have my good at heart, but this is so hard right now. I don't understand, Jesus, why I can't have this. Father, help me to choose you. I know this isn't good for me, but help me to choose you. I choose you. Help me to walk in it. He's here by his spirit to empower us to walk in our freedom. And the amazing thing is, is that as we do, every time we make that difficult decision to trust him, to choose him, we store up treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven and treasure that we can access now. Treasure that cannot be plundered. There's a moment in the, the worship when people were, were praying out, reading out psalms about how God is their portion. And then a, a tongue and interpretation about, I'm rich, I'm rich. And to an observer, you might think, well, what's, hap what's happened in those 10 minutes that's suddenly gone from we're all coming in for an evening and singing a few songs to, you know, have I, have I missed some kind of lottery draw? <laughs> no, this is the Spirit of God moving, stirring hearts, coming to us and letting us taste of that treasure in heaven. We are rich. 
even and especially on a pledge day where people are talking about giving away their money, we are rich because we have treasure in heaven. And he has that for us this evening. Band. I'd love you to just take a moment. Perhaps as band get their instruments, you could just close your eyes. His spirit is here. The spirit of the Father. The one who loves you so much that he went to the lengths of sending his son to the cross so that you could come home. When you just open your heart to him, you know, you know he's here. Perhaps even if you haven't known him before, he is here. You know if there's something that right now in your heart looks so good and so shiny and so tempting and yet you know that's not your father's best for you. He knows what it is too. Why don't you just bring it to him in the quiet of your heart Invite his spirit to come and give you strength to choose your father. Just give it to God. He is here. Perhaps you can't say you know him as your father. Well, he knows you. He knows you intimately. Every part, even the mess. And he still wants you passionately.